Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasilla from Somerset CCG, and I'm joined by my colleague, co-host and guests today, uh, Dr. Peter Bagshaw, GP and Somerset Mental Health Lead. And Andrew, I gather you're going to talk to us about the divided brain today. I think we're both each other's guests to talk about this because we've been reading about it recently, but it, there's some fascinating, fascinating thoughts going on. Absolutely. The topic is the divided brain. And I think this is something that sort of entered national consciousness, hasn't it? A, a lot of people will talk about, oh, this is a, a left brain do- way of doing things or a right brain re- way of doing it. Can, can you give us a, a, a brief introduction to the concepts behind it? Absolutely. So anatomically, inside our skulls, the newer cortex, the the, the bit that makes us higher mammals, uh, are the left and right hemispheres, which sit upon the the reptilian and the, the lower brain and the emotional bits. So there's the left side, the left hemisphere, and the right hemisphere. And they're joined in three particular ways. And the biggest join at the top is the I think it's the anterior commissure, Peter, is it? Yes, cor- corpus callosum is also uh, coming into my mind. Corpus callosum is the one I was trying to looking for. And um, it was recognised many, many years ago that the two seem to function differently and independently, but luckily they talk to each other. And there's the story of a railway worker in the States called Phineas Gage, I believe, who had a a piece of metal straight through one side of his brain. And he was able to, he lived and and, and was was well, but he lost certain abilities that we take for granted. Um, And so that sort of inspired people to to try and understand uh, a bit more about uh, the the different sides of the brains and the great neurophysiologists uh, over the, the last two centuries have looked at it. And there was a there was a phase, uh, I think, in the 1940s and 50s of actually um, uh, lobotomizing people, of cutting off the frontal cortices for anxiety. And that was pretty disastrous for their personalities. Uh, and I think I'm taking myself down a different track away from the divided brain. So maybe I'll let myself off the hook there and we'll leave that alone. Um, what do you understand by left brain, right brain, Peter? Yes, well, certainly we were taught, weren't we, that there are certain things that reside in one side. So speech is the classic thing, for instance. So that is in the left side of the brain, so that if you had have a right-sided stroke, you tend to lose speech. And, and the reason that that's the opposite is because the nerves cross over, don't they? So the left side of our brain controls the right side of our body on the whole. So there was this recognition, but I think the idea that certain behaviours uh, and ways of thinking are associated with, with the different hemispheres, that's quite a new idea. Uh, it's quite, it is more recent. And the, the two or three people who are particularly useful to think about uh, this are uh, Ian McGilchrist, who was a psychiatrist at the uh, the Maudsley, so very erudite uh, psychiatrist in London, and was medical director there for a while. And before that, he'd actually um, got honours in English at, uh, I think, at Oxford University. So a very bright thinker who is now very much a philosopher as well, and has set himself the challenges of, of thinking about the brain. And one other writer um, who, whose book really inspired me about this some years ago is a lady called Jill Bolt-Taylor. 
a neuroanatomist, and her book is called My Stroke of Insight. And she had the really interesting experience of uh, of being a neuroanatomist, and I think at the age of thirty seven had a stroke which took out her left brain, uh, and she then had a very much interesting experience. But we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But essentially, the hemispheres talk to each other and they work together. And it seems as though the right hemisphere actually knows the world and knows information and understands things directly and is able to see a big picture and understands the flow of life and sees everything as connected and as flow. Um, it's not interested in competition. It's more interested in personal relevance and, and the big picture. It can cope with ambiguity and doesn't mind paradox or self-doubt or, or uncertainty. It seems to understand the implicit and the hidden nature of truth. And it sees patterns rather than separation. And this is a very interesting way of looking at things. It's the way perhaps artists look at things, musicians look at things, and, and other people. And it, it may be at, at odds with some of the things that we prize in the world, Peter. And that's interesting. I've, I've always been fascinated by patterns and connections. And, and to me, that's a, a great way to learn. So, so maybe I, I have a dominance of that side of, of the brain. I don't know. I don't know. You see, the left brain is equally important um, because the right brain knows, but the left brain, the left hemisphere knows about, and it it needs to know uh, about the parts, uh, and it, and it will it will break down an issue or or a problem or 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 a construct into parts, and it likes to have rules and details. It likes familiar and known attention is a bit more narrowly focused and the left brain doesn't the left hemisphere doesn't like uncertainty it likes certain knowledge it likes fixed rules uh, and it's what's made explicit uh, and it's probably more two-dimensional in its view rather than three-dimensional of view it, it it sort of sees a representation of the world which it then gives back to the right brain rather than actually seeing the world as it is uh, and uh, it's it's the, the 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 four faculties that Ian McGilchrist talks about in in his so he's written two books and we'll we'll come to the one that you've read in a minute the master and his emissary but he's also written uh, the matter with things published last year which has got about fifteen hundred pages and they're they're pretty pretty densely written I found it quite chewy but he says that the left hemisphere. Um, is the seat or the predominant of logic and reason. Logic and reason, very important things for understanding our world, very important things that have done so many things for culture, um, uh, helped us forwards, language, uh, 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 speech, as you mentioned, um, the ability to conceptualise, to, to, build, to build skyscrapers, to build aeroplanes, to build railways, to, to, to do so many things uh, and constructs like that. The right brain is the seat of imagination and intuition. So we have to have the two. We have to have both reason and logic and also imagine and intu imagination and intuition. So I think I get the sense that we've got one half that is very analytic uh, and one half that, that just wings it. 
and is holistic. And there are, there are times when you need one way of thinking and times when the other way of thinking is, is good. Can you tell us when it would be good to have the different halves of our brain um, brought to bear on things? Absolutely. Well, we need both. It, we need both. But we need both vision and precision. So if we think about driving out of a supermarket car park and we drive only using our left hemisphere and only using logic, but with no vision of, def of destination, then we can drive logically first gear, second gear. I've, I've got it wrong order. I've switched on. Uh, sorry. Start with sitting in the seat, closing the door, putting on your seatbelt before you switch on the ignition, switch on the ignition, engage clutch, uh, first gear, mirror signal maneuver, uh, second gear, um, turn right, turn left, mirror signal maneuver, turn left, third gear, second gear, first gear. We can actually spend about an hour going around the car park logically without getting out of it. So we need a, a vision. And as a, as a professor of medical ethics said to me many years ago, Andrew, logic can only inform us. We need intuition to guide us. And what you've described of uh, of the sequence of events that we need to to run in our mind is is often called an executive function, isn't it? And it's very interesting that people who uh, are having early dementia, a, a lot of people post COVID who have brain fog, uh, people undergoing chemotherapy, uh, or people who have a brain in injury, they get executive dysfunction which means that they're not able to carry out this logical sequence of thoughts that you have described. Absolutely right. And we do need that logical side because um, I, I mentioned the importance of destination and vision from the, the right hemisphere. But the right hemisphere with driving, um, unfortunately, if we only use our right hemisphere, then traffic lights become pretty colours with no necessary meaning. And so we, oh, that was, a, that was a pretty red light that I've just driven through. So we obviously, we certainly need both sides of our brain to work together, uh, but we need the logic to inform and the vision to, to guide us. And in, in sort of common mythology, uh, uh, people are sometimes described as being mainly left-brained or mainly right-brained, that you have one of these factors dominating over the other. Do you, do you think that's right, or do you think that most of us are fairly balanced? Really interesting question, Peter. Um, there's uh, an, an American neurosurgeon called Leonard Schlein who wrote uh, The Alphabet Versus the Goddess, and the argument he put forward there was that we, we have both sides of our brains, but that cultures that have uh, a written tradition and that learn to read, and of course in, in our current modern world, we the majority of people will read, uh, it's, it's a very much a left brain function of scanning lines of text from left to right or right to left, depending on, on uh, where we start in the world. I, th I think there are other cultures that are right to left and start at the bottom of the page, but on the, I think um, English on the whole, we start at the left, left to right and down the page, is a very left brain function to scan. And so cultures that read a lot actually and don't necessarily embrace the oral and the artistic tradition of, 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 of remembered poetry, 
uh, such as such as in ancient Greek times of Homer and the Odyssey, which was completely an oral tradition. Um, cultures that learn to read, scanning left to right characters, often black on a white background, become very left brain in their tendency because it's a left brain function. And so we tend to sort of lose that right brain gestalt, bigger picture, uh, an understanding of the flow of life. And so the alphabet slays the goddess and the goddess being the the bigger picture, the um, the creativity, the intuition, the inspiration that comes in through the right brain. Well, the idea of reading left to right in most cultures is is interesting, and I I would posit that there's a fairly prosaic explanation for that, which is uh, that most of us are right-handed, uh, so it's actually easier to write left to right because you're pulling the pen along after you, whereas if you're left-handed, you you push it dig it into the, the paper and rub over it. And I, I speak as an oppressed minority, a, le- a left-hander uh, in a right-hander's world. So I've been very conscious about left and right from an early age. Interesting. The reason I sort of tangled myself up or, or thought about it as I was speaking was because I believe that Chinese and some other cultures, and that's a very large number of people in the world, actually do right to left and up from the bottom of the page to the top. I may be wrong. Um, is, is that a figment of my imagination? Perhaps, perhaps our producer can uh, kindly research that for us while we're talking on <laughs> in a moment. But um, Peter, I believe that you've read some of Ian McGilchrist's work recently. Yes, indeed. I, I found it fascinating, and it, I think the came, the thing that came across to me is that it it's much more subtle than the idea as it's entered into popular culture. Very much, we have this fixed idea of left brain, right brain. One is good for impulsive things. One's good for uh, analytical things. And actually, the, the reality is, is much more subtle than that, isn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. It is. It's um, it, it, thought, um, sorry, intellect and, and reason and intuition and imagination are diffused through the brain, but there seems to be a predominance. So when we talk about left brain, right brain, it's a predominant function. Uh, and as you say, language and speech is is left brain mainly, but music is is throughout. And interesting, language is actually, it, yes, it is a less left hemispheric uh, speech is a left hemispheric function, and so a, a right sided stroke takes out can take out your speech, but it is a left brain function. And I, I met a, 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 a professor Alan Harvey a little while back, who's a um, professor from Western Australia on neuroscience and neurophysiology. And he wrote a most interesting book. But the key thing that he said to me was, Andrew, language divides because it needs to analyze and name things, whereas music unites. And I thought that was really quite interesting. Music, of course, is a function that's diffused through both left and right side of brain. Uh, So language divides uh, but but music unites, and I think I'd argue that that most of us know, need both aspects to make progress. So um, we've all studied the great scientists, haven't we? So people um, like Newton had this sudden uh, idea of gravity, but then had to use his analytical side to work out the mathematics and came up with his own uh, way of, of, of working out mathematics to make this work. And Einstein, it's said to be the same thing, that he had this thought experiment, this Gedanken experiment um, that, that made him 
realized that there was no such thing as space and time, only space time. But then he had to, to go away and learn the mathematics of, of working this out. So we need both, don't we? We need both. And Kekulé, who spent uh, 10 or 15 years thinking about the structure of the benzene ring, that six, that chain of six carbon atoms in a circle, and was trying to work out how, how it, they fitted together. Uh, and it is said that he was dreaming or in a daydream by the fire one evening, and suddenly he saw in the embers of the fire or in the flames of the fire a serpent eating its tail. And after that, the, the, he was able to put together the structure of the, the benzene ring. And his, he used to say to colleagues, gentlemen, we must learn to dream and then we can find, find inspiration and wisdom. So gentlemen, learn to dream. Use the left brain once you've had the inspiration and the dream, but, but allow yourself to think outside the box, to be inspired and to, to think further. Now, Left brain and right brain, Peter, uh, Peter, there's something about lefties and handedness that uh, it, David's kindly helped Indeed, us with. Our, our producer David has kindly uh, put some comments in, in our chat box. And apparently I'm in good company uh, as a left-hander with Lady Gaga, Angelina Jolie and Caitlyn Jenner. Now, I don't know if there's any connection with that. Uh, personally, the person I, I always looked up to uh, was uh, <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci who is a very famous left-hander, who was a scientist and an artist. So, um, But again, the idea that, that it's reversed in left-handers isn't actually the, true, the truth. Most people who are left-handed who get a stroke will still have the same as right-handed people in terms of whether their speech is affected. Interesting. Yes, thank you. Um, oh, and Justin Bieber, so David is reminding us, so... Make make of that what you will. I'll, I I think I'll stick with my uh, with uh, Leonardo da Vinci if that's okay. Absolutely. Now I'm just looking for what Jill Bolt Taylor uh, was saying um, because she had this stroke which took out half of her brain, and what she found was that she had some very unique insights into the purpose of the brain uh, through this, and. One phrase or one sentence that she wrote in her book was, it was clear to me while she was having her stroke before she was able to regain speech and regain consciousness fully and engage with people, it was clear to me that this body, our bodies, function like a portal through which the energy that I am can be beamed into a three-dimensional state, so space. So she was very much taking, she was a very well-respected, well-known lecturing neuroanatomist, and she suddenly found herself catapulted by this catastrophic stroke into what's actually articulated as a very interesting spiritual aspect of, of the world that the right brain was giving her that she had without the left brain filter. Absolutely fascinating. And she found herself thinking that perhaps life itself is living through us and that perhaps our bodies are vehicles for a, for a, a part of consciousness how fascinating is that well consciousness is is really interesting so uh, a lot of what we learn is from pathology isn't it and there's there's one other group of people uh with this left brain right brain uh problem which are those where it's been divided 
either deliberately surgically or through some uh, catastrophe, uh, who have completely separate left brain and right brains. And they found in that group that both sides seem to have a consciousness. It's as though there are then two people. And that even though the brains are completely separate and they think in different ways and can't communicate, they somehow have a slight sense of what the other side of the brain is thinking. And they're very subtle experiments that have brought this out. So that's a another fascinating group that, that gives us an insight into uh, the seat of consciousness. Absolutely. We're going into some quite deep um, philosophy here. But the, the Master and His Emissary and, and the, the much bigger book, The Matter with Things, are absolutely fascinating. Um, picking up on what you've just said, Peter, one of the things I think that uh, McGilchrist says that is that very often some of these experiments, if, you, if you're stuck in your left hemisphere and the right hemisphere isn't working very well, you don't know your limits and you can't see what you can't see. The right hemisphere awareness will know what what's going on at one level, but the left hemisphere um, doesn't know what isn't going on and is very good at um, confabulating, at, at, at making stories, at, at, at filling in gaps to pretend to itself uh, maybe because it likes certainty, maybe because it needs rules that it hasn't hasn't that it that it doesn't have a problem that there isn't anything else going on. What do you think of that, Peter? That sounds reasonable to me. I, I, as you know, I'm a very sort of practical uh, person. I, I like to think about these things, but I always come back to what can we do to help each other? How ca- how can this information be useful? So, I suppose I I would ask you. It's it's very interesting this idea of left brain and right brain, uh, a bit like other ideas of Venus and Mars and so on. What what can we take away day to day, understanding this that will help us deal with our emotional well being in a better way? Really good question. Thank you, Peter. So two things. Firstly, uh, over the last thirty or forty years, um, the left brain has thought to be dominant, and actually, it's important to recognise that both uh, are important. Um, actually, um, we need to nurture our right brain uh, as much as the left brain. We need to nurture our brains and our souls generally. And art, imagination, uh, sorry, art, nature, music, uh, and harmonious patterns of colour, light, and others like that from specifically from nature seem to help us um, have a bigger picture. And one of the things that the right brain is good at is giving a bigger picture. Sometimes the right brain is more p- pessimistic than the than the, the the left brain. The left brain can be more optimistic, maybe because it hasn't always got full insight. But uh, it's it's it, it's it's so important to nourish ourselves. I don't know if you've had the experience, particularly with lockdown, Peter, where you've been sitting inside for too long. Uh, and maybe you haven't moved your limbs very much, but you've been stuck at a screen or or stuck uh, working on on books um, or using intellect uh, and using reason, which are both fantastic tools. But just ten minutes or twenty minutes or even shorter time outside, um, hearing birdsong, um, seeing trees. Uh, maybe for some of us, if we're lucky enough to see water, whether it's a a river or, or or the seaside, and Somerset's got a great coastline, it seems to put a whole load of things in perspective. It seems to nourish aspects of ourselves. And 
I suspect, but this is this is conjecture, but I suspect it helps uh, the two sides of the brain, the two hemispheres, to communicate better together and to be in better balance. That is a suspicion, and it's a conjecture. I have got no scientific evidence to base that up. But I'd be grateful for what you think. It sounds a very reasonable conjecture. And, and certainly I get enormous pleasure out of seeing those links, those connections. Um, I, I was doing a book on, on the history of science, for instance, and I came across the Barnsley Fern. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Barnsley Fern. No. It, it's nothing to do with Barnsley and it's not a fern. It, it's, a, it's actually a fractal by a mathematician uh, called Barnsley. Uh, and it looks exactly the same as ferns that we see growing by the roadside. So these, these deep mathematical links between uh, something completely theoretical and something that we see day to day it is absolutely fascinating. So fascinating. you can get great joy from noticing connections, noticing the links, appreciating things holistically. So there's a great uh, connection in the brain between mathematics and music. And uh, you mentioned uh, fractal geometry. Well, nature is based on harmonious mathematical patterns uh, working out. But could we just do a couple of quotes from Ian McGilchrist? Because he writes so well and actually use his own words from the master and his emissary. So um, although relatively speaking, the right hemisphere takes a more pessimistic view of the self, it's actually all is also more realistic about it. There is evidence that, firstly, those who are somewhat depressed may be more realistic, including in self-elevation, and also that depression is sometimes or often a condition of relative hemisphere asymmetry favouring the right hemisphere. This is very interesting. Even schizophrenics have more insight into their condition, into the proportion that they have depressive symptoms. This is quite fascinating. The evidence is that this is not because insight makes you depressed, but by being depressed gives you some insight. Interesting. And there's another quote there, which, Peter, would you be kind enough to, to read out David's next one there? It means and that means that we should, that be. we should be appropriately sceptical of the left hemisphere's vision of a mechanistic world, an atomist society, a world in which competition is more important than collaboration, a world in which nature is a heap of resource there for our exploitation, in which only humans count, and yet humans are only machines and not very good ones. And I would completely agree with that. I think if we look at, at the world and nature in, in that reductive, mechanistic, uh, self-centred way, then we're doomed as a species and as individuals. If we can look outside that to a more holistic, harmonious world, uh, then our futures and our, our personal lives are, are, are going to be much richer. Absolutely. And I think Ian McGiltrist goes on to say that a world looked at in that way is, is stripped of depth, colour and value. And this is not the intelligent, if hard-nosed views that its espousers comfort themselves by making it out to be. Uh, it's just a sterile fantasy, the product of a lack of imagination, which makes it easier for us to manipulate what we no longer understand. But it is a fantasy and displaces and renders inaccessible the vibrant, living, profoundly creative world that it was our fortune to inherit until we squandered our inheritance. Gosh, this is deep stuff, Peter. I've got another quote for you, which uh, I hope I can remember yes. correctly. A man that has no music in him is fit for nothing, stratagems and spoils. Uh, that's Shakespeare, of course, uh, who understood the, the importance of... Uh, 
of using right brain as well as, as left brain. And another piece of poetry, and I can't remember the whole quote, but if we have no time to stand and st- what is it if we have no care? What is it? What is this life if full of care we have no time? to stand and stare. So there's that tension between are we task-focused human doings or are we aware, connected human beings? And hopefully there's a bit of time for both. As Going back to the beginning where it's all about integration and using both sides rather than one being dominant over the other. So hopefully with integration we can achieve things with our analytical side and we can appreciate beauty and harmony Uh, with our holistic side. Thank you so much, Peter. That's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you. And thank you to all our listeners. And thank you to David for the quotes. (laughs) Absolutely. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group. 